Well, hello again, everyone, and welcome again to Cotton Grower Magazine's Cotton Companion Podcast. According to the calendar, it's now officially spring, and things are fixing to heat up literally and work-wise real soon across the cotton belt. I'm Jim Stedman, Senior Editor of Cotton Grower, and as always, I'm joined by Cotton Grower Editor Frank Giles. Frank, I was on spring break last week and, and got to see some of the last vestiges of wintry weather in, in the Midwest, uh, while our typical stormy and blustery southern springtime sort of raged through the Mid-South and Southeast. I understand you even had to put up with a cold snap there in, uh, in Central Florida. Yes, it was chilly the last, over the weekend. Um, it was cold, cloudy, a little bit of rain. I, I was texting one of my coworkers up in Ohio on Sunday and uh, Orlando, Florida was actually colder than uh, Cleveland that particular time of day. So that's a rare occasion uh, that that <laughs> happens. Uh, one other thing I wanted to bring out, we're recording this today on National Ag Day. So just a shout out to all our cotton grower friends and all the other farmers here in America. Absolutely, definitely. Well, with that in mind, uh, as, as we're seeing, all things are moving pretty quickly toward, uh, toward planting this 2021 crop. Uh, and while that's moving quickly, so are things in Washington, D.C. We've got a new administration. We've got some new ag leadership already working to put agendas and programs in place. And today, to help us sort out the sort of the who's who and the what's what, uh, two months in, Reese Langley, who's vice president of Washington Operations for the National Cotton Council, is joining us again today in our virtual studio to kind of get us up to speed on uh, some of the changes and on some of the policy items impacting cotton. We hope you'll stay with us for that discussion in this, the 92nd episode of the Cotton Companion podcast. But first, a quick look at some recent news from around the cotton belt. Jim, has actually been kind of a slow news period over the past couple of weeks. So today we're going to focus primarily on the state of Arkansas and a recent proposal by the state's Department of Agriculture State Plant Board that, that would allow Arkansas farmers and applicators to follow the federal label when using dicamba on their tolerant cotton and soybean acres this year. The cutoff date for dicamba applications in Arkansas is May 25th, and that date will remain in effect until the new rule has been uh, received and has received the final approval. The proposed rule would allow over-the-top applications of Ingenia, Extendimax, and Tavion Dicamba herbicides through June 30 on soybeans and through July 30th on cotton. The proposed rule will also require volatility-reducing agents to be tank mixed with Dicamba and will require a, download, a downwind buffer of 240 feet. Those dates and restrictions are part of the new federal label for dicamba products. Following the 30-day public comment, the uh, board will re review any comments and determine if any changes should be adopted. The rule will then go to the Arkansas Legislative Council Administrative Rules Subcommittee with additional review and approval by the full Arkansas Legislative Council before becoming effective. A copy of the proposed rule can be found on the Arkansas Department of Agriculture's website. And now it's time to open up the virtual studio to today's guest and our good friend, Reese Langley, who's Vice President of Washington Operations for the National Cotton Council. 
for an update on what's happening in Washington and how it impacts the cotton industry. Reese, welcome back to the Cotton Companion. Good afternoon. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. Always glad to have you. I think the last time we visited, we were, uh, we were one week after the November election. Uh, and at that time, we discussed possibilities for agriculture secretary and kind of some, some rough ideas on who was going to be in the Senate and House Ag Committees. Uh, and now as we're recording this, we are 63 days into the Biden administration. So how's the mood in Washington now compared to uh, when we visited post-election? Well, certainly there have been a lot of adjustments post-election. And of course, when we last spoke, we still did not know the outcome of the two Senate runoff elections in Georgia. And, and right. so obviously that was um, a pivotal election as well and determined control of the U.S. Senate. And so that has resulted in some significant shifts now and with Democrats in control of both the House and Senate and obviously the administration, you know, that's created a shift in the focus of some policies and what we see being pursued both on the legislative and regulatory front. And, um, you know, we're working as an industry to try to get to know a lot of new members and staff and develop those relationships, both on Capitol Hill and within the various departments of this administration. Let's, let's talk a little bit about some of these changes and everything. We now officially have a new, or, or maybe we should say a new old Secretary of Agriculture. We have a new head of EPA. We have a new U.S. trade representative. Uh, what can you tell us about each of them? Are there any preliminary indications about some of their priorities, uh, especially as it may relate to cotton? Sure. Well, with Secretary Vilsack, I mean, we were very pleased to see him return to that position at USDA. Obviously, we have a, a long track record of working with him in his previous eight-year tenure. And as you know, he was very instrumental toward the end of that term in developing some ways to administratively help provide short-term relief for the U.S. cotton industry when it was badly needed. And so we're excited for the opportunity to work with him and the team that he puts together again. Obviously, he will not really have a learning curve, having been there for the previous eight years, and believe he has a very good understanding of commercial production agriculture and, and family farms throughout the U.S., different crops and different regions. So we're excited about that. And obviously, his focus is uh, largely fitting in with the broader focus of this administration to look at how to address things like climate change and infrastructure development, those areas. Now at EPA, the new leader there, Michael Regan from North Carolina, not someone that we have worked with before at the national level, but we've heard very positive feedback from the ag industry across North Carolina that had the opportunity to work with him in his capacity at the state level. And there's already been uh, outreach from his office to various agricultural stakeholders to start uh, building those relationships. And again, so we're optimistic about that and how we can work with him and EPA moving forward. And then at the U.S. Trade Representative's office, uh, Ms. Catherine Tai, who was recently confirmed to that position. Of course, she had been at USTR previously, focused on China trade enforcement issues, and then most recently, working on the House Ways and Means Committee and very instrumental in negotiating the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement. And so obviously she is very, very um, equipped to deal with trade policy issues and negotiations and the fact that she has that history in, address, or in dealing with 
issues regarding China. We think that will serve her very well and someone that got broad bipartisan praise as she moved through the confirmation process. So again, I think she'll be a, a great uh, a leader at USTR for us and others in the ag community to work with. And of course, we're waiting to see who will be put in the position of the ag negotiator at USTR, which you know is also a very critical position. Right. Well, it seems like finally now we have the, uh, particularly with the Georgia elections finally settled, we do have the Senate and House Ag Committees finalized. Uh, who's making up the leadership of each committee? Uh, who's new to this committee? And, uh, and does Cotton still have, have some good friends? We do. We are very fortunate in the cotton industry uh, with the new leadership and the membership of both the Senate and House Agriculture Committees that we are very well represented on both sides of the aisle and really across the various regions of the Cotton Belt. Starting with the Senate Ag Committee, of course, uh, Ms. Stabenow is now the chairwoman and you know, she's had that position in the past on the Ag Committee. And then the new ranking member, Senator Bozeman from Arkansas, obviously a significant cotton producing state and a great friend and champion for the U.S. cotton industry. And so a really good leadership team there. And then if we look at the membership, so on the Democratic side of the aisle, two of the new uh, senators, Senator Warnock from Georgia and Senator Lujan from New Mexico are on that committee. And that's significant because this is the first Congress in several years where we have had a cotton belt senator on the Democratic side of that committee. So we're very uh, uh, thankful for that, you know, that, that they're going to be, we think, good allies for us to work with. And then on the Republican side of the committee, we have four senators from the cotton belt, uh, two, I mentioned Bozeman and then uh, Senator Hyde Smith from Mississippi, and then two of the new senators, Senator Tuberville from Alabama and Senator Marshall from Kansas. And so really good representation there. And then on the House Agriculture Committee, with David Scott from Georgia becoming the new chairman, obviously a significant cotton producing state and someone that our industry has worked very closely with during his entire time in Congress. And so he will continue to be a strong champion for us. And then Glenn Thompson from Pennsylvania is the new ranking Republican. Again, um, someone we've worked closely with and he's taken the opportunity to visit uh, the Memphis area about a year and a half ago to see cotton harvest, um, the uh, cotton industry and learn more about it. So we feel really good about the leadership on the House Ag Committee. And again, broad representation, there are nine Democrats and 11 Republicans on the committee that come from cotton producing districts. So very well represented there. Reese, one of the topics the ag community has kept a close eye on is the Waters of the United States Act, or, or WOTUS for short, as they say. Uh, certain parts of that legislation was relaxed or stalled under the Trump administration. Any indications of what might happen under the new Biden administration? Right. So that's still developing. As you indicated, the last administration had uh, tried to rework and improve that WOTUS regulation to make it more uh, acceptable and, and uh, reasonable for agriculture particularly. And so that was being implemented in the last administration, although there were some uh, legal challenges that were underway to that. And now with the new administration that has come in, the Department of Justice has essentially put on hold all of those lawsuits that were pending. 
and the new leadership at EPA is reviewing um, the, the water regulation from the last administration. And while it, they haven't indicated what they will do yet, we fully anticipate they're going to make some changes or adjustments to that and then try to move forward with that updated version of the regulation. And so most likely we could see uh, kind of going back closer to what we had with the original WOTUS rule that was maybe a little more onerous and uh, problematic for agriculture and others, but we just don't know yet you know, how far that may go back in the other direction. Well, I think it's, it's certainly apparent that, that President Biden has hit the ground running uh, since he's already signed a wide array of executive orders uh, at this point. But I've also noticed uh, over, the, over the last two months that uh, the Cotton Council has been busy signing or, or coast number of letters since the beginning of the year, uh, focusing on a, a variety of things like the uh, sequestration cuts. I'm sorry, that's a, that's a tough word for, for country boys to, to say. Uh, the PPP extension, estate tax relief, uh, freight and transportation, crop insurance, climate change, carbon markets and market access programs, just to name a few. So, I mean, obviously this is a lot of your behind the scenes work that's really valuable to the industry. Can you tell us a bit about some of these topics and, and, and the impact they're gonna have on our industry? Yeah, well, you outlined a lot of key issues, as you said, that are, are um, the area of focus at this point. I guess, so maybe start with the PPP, the Paycheck Protection Program, which has been very helpful, as we know, across the economy, but also for farmers and ag businesses. You know, the deadline for that program currently is the end of March. There is legislation that moved through the House last week that would extend PPP through the uh, end of May, and we're hopeful the Senate will take that up this week. And that'll allow a little bit more opportunity to, to let folks come in and apply and finalize those loans through the PPP program. Um, on the climate front or, and carbon issues, obviously that is, as you said, the focus really in Congress and with the new administration. And uh, with, at the National Cotton Council, we're part of a group, Food and Ag Climate Alliance, that is trying to put together some broad-based recommendations for Congress and USDA on how they should implement any policy to make sure that, you know, one, it's voluntary for producers, it's incentive-based, and is really going to help accrue benefits to growers for the positive environmental practices that they are undertaking on their farm. And so we want to make sure, and you know, anything that Congress puts together this year and going forward uh, adheres to those principles and is something that can be beneficial to agriculture and producers directly. And we think that's something that Congress is going to look to do as we move through the summer and early fall is maybe a large infrastructure and, and clean energy package that would include a number of these climate policies that would apply to agriculture. So we're going to have to see how that plays out, but we'll be spending a lot of time in the coming weeks and months trying to educate members of Congress and staff on how we would like to see any climate policy implemented. And then, you know, you mentioned freight issues, uh, obviously a lot of challenges right now across agriculture when it comes to shipping, given uh, shortages with containers and the, the huge demand for those. So we're, you know, that's creating some backlogs and congestion in the various ports. And so we're trying to see what can be done uh, with Congress weighing in 
uh, with various agencies that regulate that sector. And then, um, you know, the other thing is uh, watching USDA to see how quickly they're going to move forward now and hopefully start uh, carrying out some of the COVID relief provisions that are still pending. These are things that were approved in the package in December and then more recently a few weeks ago. And so, as you know, we still have, there's a $20 per acre CFAP payment that needs to be announced and implemented. There's also support for U.S. textile mills that were part of that package. And then some other provisions that we hope uh, that are targeted toward ag supply chain issues. And we hope some of that maybe could help uh, our merchandising segment that is dealing with some of these supply chain challenges. So those are all things that are coming down the road, hopefully very soon from USDA. Well, as usual, it sounds like you've got a, a full plate of, uh, of things to worry about and, and keep an eye on and, and, and sort of take care of it. And, and with that, we probably need to call time on, on this discussion and, and let you get back to, uh, to some of that busy, uh, busy agenda that you have. Thanks again for coming back to visit with us again so soon, Reese. Uh, we, as always, we appreciate your time and your input uh, on farm policy matters and, and everything that's going on in Washington. And, and we'll certainly be dialing you up again to, uh, to give us some updates maybe further, uh, further into the year. Great. Thank you so much. Good to talk with you. Thanks, Reese. Thank you. And that's it for this episode of the Cotton Companion Podcast. As always, thank you, dear listeners, for joining us. And if you like what you hear on the Cotton Companion, please be sure to spread the word and tell your farmer friends about this podcast. Here's how they can find us. You can find the Cotton Companion in three easy ways. First, go to cottongrower.com forward slash companion, or simply click the podcast tab at the top of the homepage. Second, Subscribe to our channel on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts these days. And three, sign up for our weekly e-newsletter, The Cotton Grower E-News, that's delivered to your email inbox every Tuesday morning. You can do that by going to cottongrower.com forward slash subscribe. Also, be sure to follow Cotton Grower on social media. We are at Cotton Grower Mag on Twitter. And on Facebook, you'll find us by searching for Cotton Grower Magazine. Today's podcast is produced by Kim Henderson, our talented colleague back at the World Headquarters for Meister Media Worldwide in lovely Willoughby, Ohio. My name is Jim Stedman. His name's Frank Giles. And we'll be back with you in two weeks with another episode of The Cotton Companion. Until then, get those planters ready to roll and stay safe. all day God made the farmer